0: Yeah, so how are we? You're good? Hot? It's it's wonderful out there, isn't it? Uh, exactly. Right. all right. So, sorry for my tardiness. Zoe had a track meet. And so, uh, we drove to Ann Arbor to watch the track meet and then try to get back here in time. So, I apologize, uh. You just had a vision of me all day. Yeah. Are you on my phone app? Got to like, find my phone, find Pastor <laughs> Shu. I know exactly where you're at. So so uh, tonight we're in, I guess it's day four or week four of the goodness of God. And, uh, and why is it so important? And I think one of the values of understanding God's goodness is that understanding God's goodness gives us permission to hope understanding God's goodness leads to expectation in our life and um, uh, and I believe that God wants us to have expectation when we live and I don't think that he wants expectation just to be in the by and by I think he wants us to have expectation today uh, expectation when things are wonderful expectation when things are not so wonderful that he wants us to have an expectation of his character, of his goodness. And uh, we would call that hope. And uh, I love one man's definition of hope. He said, hope is the joyful expectation of God's goodness. And what would happen if each one of us lived with the joyful expectation of the goodness of God? What would happen in all that? if we expected God to be good. And so uh, last week, we looked at a little bit, Psalms 27, that David could write and say, though my enemies uh, surround me, it's they that stumble and fall. You know, Though the armies may encamp about me, I-, I will not be afraid. Why? Because he had a joyful expectation of the goodness of God, that God would be good. And so by the time you get to this, and I believed that I will see the goodness of of the Lord in the land of the living because he had a joyful expectation of the goodness of God. You know, one of the things that I discovered as I was uh, uh, on this God is good journey is, uh, as you guys know, I. I look at Genesis chapter 1 and I see six times God saw it was good, and on the seventh time he saw it was very good. And that's the beginning of the book of Genesis. But when you close the book of Genesis, there is still a theme of God's goodness. We said that whenever God works, he does what? He produces good. Whenever God works, he produces good. Every time God works, good happens. Right? And so I want to take a moment and go to the end of Genesis and see God's goodness at the end of Genesis. So we see God's goodness at the beginning of Genesis when we, when we said, and God saw that it was good. And on the seventh time, he said it was very good, or the New Living Translation says it was excellent in every way. And we said, based on Luke chapter 12, that uh, a good man from the good treasures of his heart produces good, and an evil man from the evil treasures of his heart produces evil. And so God, because he is good, he produces good. Or because he is good, he does good. Right? So what happens when things are not so good? Can you still trust that God's working it for your good? This is why Paul says in Romans chapter eight, he says, for we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So if we love them and we're walking according to his purposes and God turns all that messed up, all the jacked up, all the drama and he reverses it and he he turns it into good. Uh, I love Romans chapter 11 says this. Romans chapter 11 says that we, uh, uh, he says, behold the goodness and the severity of God. He says, the severity to those who have fallen and in goodness to, to those who believe. Then he says, remain in the goodness of God. Or remain in the kindness of God. Well, how do you remain in God's kindness? Anybody? i asking a question. It's not rhetorical. You can answer it. How does one remain in God's goodness? Obedience. We got one. How else? Faithfulness for you, like that. You remain faithful. Okay. You can. You can work, go. I can go there, Dale. What else? How else do you remain in God's goodness? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, being deliberate. Uh, Obedience. Yes. Being a child of God, absolutely. being in his word it's all how we remain in his goodness well how about remaining with him remaining with Christ right because Christ is an expression of God's goodness to us and so we must remain in him in fact the context of Romans chapter 11 as Paul actually says that when we, if we do not remain in God's goodness we too would be cut off and so that we were grafted in and uh, um, uh Engrafted in uh, uh, into Israel, and we've been engrafted in by the work of Christ. And so, the only way that we stay in, hey darling, the only way that we stay in is that we remain in Him, right? Well, how many know there are opportunities not to remain in Him? Maybe I should say ask that. How many know there are opportunities to not remain in Him? I'll talk to this table. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there are opportunities that that we could take up to not remain in him when things don't seem to go our way. But remember, one of the reasons that God has revealed to us goodness is because he wanted us to live with expectation. Listen, God does not... I I, I said it before... uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse six says this, for without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is. Right. But that is not enough. God is not pleased that we believe that he exists. He's not. Oh, you believe I guess. Oh, great. Wow. Wonderful. That doesn't please him. The devil believes that God exists. There are many that are agnostics that believe that God exists. There are many that believe that God exists, but the, the, the part of faith and expectation, he says that he who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, that you must believe that he exists and he rewards. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. So we, at the end of the day, our responsibility is to take God at his word. Now, I believe this. I believe that we have a hard time taking God at his word because we live in a culture of unbelief. Or we live in a culture we we can depend on other things. So one of the reasons why, you know, you can go to third world nations and you see more of the miraculous there is because they have nothing else to depend on. They don't don't have health care. They don't have welfare. If they want to get better, they they pray. Like, God, we need you, show up. If they want to eat, God, (laughs) send the rain. They have nothing else to depend on. I, I heard this the other day, and uh, 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 a man was asking the question. So there was a uh, uh, this guy, this guy named Randy Clark. He was uh, interviewing this guy. Uh, I'm trying to say his name right, but well, he, he's from Latin America. I, I can't say his name right, so I don't want to just lie to you because I can't say it right, and you try to Google it, I'm like who is this? So anyway, he said the guy. They were talking about revivals throughout history, and You know, oftentimes when revivals happen or or outpourings, you know, uh, people stay with Christ for a year or so, or they stay in church for a while. But this guy says, you know, in the Latin American countries that four decades later, people are still in Christ, they're still following the Lord, they're still remaining in in him. And he asked him a question, he says, why is it different? Why is it different in the States than it is in Latin America? And he says, the problem with America is that we uh, we preach the gospel for people to be forgiven, but not preach it enough for them to be free. Why? Because we have so many other things to depend on. If I say, hey, you can be forgive- forgiven, you'll take that. But if I say you can be healed, like, well, no, well, there's got to be some caveats to that. <laughs> You're looking at me like, I'm <laughs> you can be free of the demonic attack. We want to know I'm going to heaven, but, you know, I can keep my little pet demons. No, 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 in other places like, listen, we preach the gospel until people are free, not just till they're forgiven. It's an expectation that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And the truth is, the reward is God himself. You guys with me? I long for the day. I long for the day for my own self that I don't have uh, talk that says that. Oh, that's not possible. It couldn't be. No way. I'll give you a prime example, and uh, I'm gonna get to the texture in a moment. So, um, about a month ago, month and maybe a month and. I, don't know, I think it was about a month ago, uh, I get a call from my, my aunt and she's like, hey, can you go to the hospital? Um, my cousin Kay this is actually my wife's cousin, but I don't do in-laws, so I'm just, y'all forgive me. Uh, she just had a baby and they think the baby has meningitis. And so can you go and pray for the baby? And so I'm like, okay, sure. So i leave here. I go to the hospital and I'm like, hey, I'm going to visit this room here. Giving my cousin's name, all that kind of stuff, and and uh, and so they take me upstairs, and uh, the uh, nurse escorts me into the room, and she escorts me into a room with a um, to the wrong room, and I walk the room. I'm like, oh, this is not my cousin, you know. But I just kind of bust in, like, hey, y'all. Awkward, right? But I get in there, and everybody's weeping, and they're weeping because There's uh, a baby that they say is not going to lift. That she doesn't have 24. She has 24 hours to live. And you know, so I'm like, okay, I can't leave. So I, you know, I'm walking. I'm like, wait, I'm sorry. Hey guys, can I just come and I can pray for you? Do you mind? You know, I'm a pastor. Can I pray? And so they said, sure. And so I, you know, we get in a little circle, and I don't know much about what they, you know, what they believe or anything. Uh, I think that the reality was that they requested a pastor kind of the, the last rites, kind of thing that they wanted to happen for the baby. And so, you know, so the lady sent me there because she's like, Oh, this is the pastor. He's coming to see these people. Well, I was actually coming to see my cousin. So I turn around and I pray and we get in a little circle and we hold hands and i lay hands on the baby and I say, you know, I just pray God that this baby would live and not die. And, you know, and just do that little deal. And, uh, and then I'll leave and I go and see my cousin and I pray for my cousin and, you know, for, uh, Uh, No, I can't even think of his name. It'll come to me. (laughs) I pray for my little cousin. And, uh, you know, he's fine. Well, uh, on this past Sunday was Mother's Day. And so for Mother's Day, uh, my aunt decided to throw a party for um, her daughter and say, hey, this is your first Mother's Day. So we barbecued and we went over there. And so we're there just kind of chewing the fat. And so Sinead, my wife, says to me, she's like, hey, did you tell KK about, you know, the nurse sending you to the wrong room. I said, I don't think so. And, I, and so I began to talk about what happened. And my aunt overhears the story and she says, Wait, are you talking about that young lady there? And I said, Yeah, um, it's an interracial couple. The husband, uh, the boyfriend's wife." She's like, Yeah, oh my God. You know what? I went four days later. That baby lived. That baby is alive. That baby lived. That baby lived. And I'm just like praising the Lord. But you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, but how long did the baby live? You know, that little doubt creeps in, right? And so I'm longing for, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that. You heard some good, but then you're thinking some bad is going to come later. Maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's our nature. But I'm longing for the day that that didn't show up. That I just have an expectation that God's going to do what he's going to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. That's right. You know, I walked in and I was like, oh, wrong room. Oh, right room. What if this is your appointment for this family? And so I said, I can't. I got to (laughs) stay. I got to act in faith. I can't, you know, they're in need. God forbid the pastor walks back out. (laughs) So I stay and pray. But then when I hear the good news, I'm like, well, yes, it's awesome. What happened a week later? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? The, and an enemy starts playing a tape. Well, my mindset was, no, no, my mindset was, God, you sent me here. Yeah, I, you know, because it was like, oh, well, this is accidental and the eyes, in the natural eyes, but in the spiritual eyes, this is a divine appointment. And so, literally, my wife said about a week ago. She said, "I wonder what happened to that baby." And so, when we called with my cousins on Sunday and talked, my mom's like, "No, y'all, that baby lived. Oh my goodness, that baby lived!" And I was like, "Yes." What? If? The doctors. Wrong crowd. And so literally, they're all in there crying and they're weeping. And I'm like, well, I can't leave now. It's time to pray. Because God didn't set this up. So anyway. But I long for the day where I don't have to second guess the experience of God's goodness. I love uh, what uh, Bill Johnson he said, says this. He says, um, The goodness of God may be on, our, uh, may be on the, uh, our, uh, our ability to comprehend, but it's not beyond our ability to experience. And so, you know, sometimes we're trying to comprehend his goodness and trying to figure that out. But the reality is that it's not beyond our comprehend or our ability to experience. And I believe that God wants us to experience his goodness. And, w- and with that goodness creates an expectation a future good. It creates a hope. And so, here's the story of Joshua. I'm sorry, Joseph. And you guys remember Joseph, right? Here's Joseph, um, this young man who uh, God gives him a dream and in the dream uh, he sees uh, in essence his parents and his siblings, his brothers, bowing down to And he goes on, he shares his dream. And uh, uh, and it frustrated his brothers. Not only did that frustrate his brothers, but he was a favorite son of the favorite wife of his father. That frustrated his brothers. And so the brothers decide, you know what? We're going to do this little man in and so what do they do? They said, I'll tell you what we'll do. First, we'll, we'll take them and we'll let uh, the animals get them and attack them. And I believe then it was either Simeon or Judah that stepped in and said, I think it was Simeon, said, no, we're not going to do this. Uh, but what we will do is we'll put them in a pit. I threw them in a pit uh, and then end up selling them to Midian. Uh, uh, what's that? Merchants, Midian merchants. And they get Sold. And to savory, finds himself in Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, now mind you, he's got he's got a dream. He has an an expectation. So listen, remember uh, maybe I think it was Sunday this past uh, the Sunday before last. One of the challenges that we have is. Because we sometimes are limited in vision. Because we don't have vision, it's difficult to have faith. Not this guy. He's got all kinds of visions, right? See, vision is linked to faith. So Habakkuk 2 and 4 says, write the vision down. Make it plain so he who reads with it runs, right? Then the writer says, the just shall live by faith. Now, that word faith could be two things. It it could be by my faith or it could be by his faithfulness. I believe it's both. That the just live by God's faithfulness. In other words, when God gives you a vision, then you say, you know what? God is going to be faithful to the vision he gives. And because God is faithful to the vision he gives, that's the reason that I can have assurance or conviction that what I believe is true. Conviction and assurance, uh, uh, faith is the Assurance of things hoped for. Uh, another translation: say, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things unseen. Yes, sir. Yeah. So. Yeah. So what I would say, you know, and it's interesting when you when you look at. Uh, Many times when you read the Old, uh, Old Testament prophets and the, uh, or the stories, Daniel, or uh, they'll, they'll get a dream and it happens. And they're like, now I know that was the Lord. Right. You know, you know, I think they were like us uh, sometimes like, ooh, something was in my spirit. Was that me? Was did I eat some chips last night and I got a little gas? And was that my gas? It's making this think that this is this. Nobody ever struggles with that. Anyway, so. But I believe that the, that God honors his rhema words just like he honors his logos. And so a, a rhema word would be an utterance. It's something that he may speak to in your spirit. Like, ooh, I, I think this is going to happen. I, I, there's, I have an inward conviction about that. right? Now, the test of that, if it actually happens. right? All right. But I believe that God, uh, the things that God honors is what he says. And if he said it, he'll honor it. Amen. And so, if he d- deposits something in your in your in your spirit, he's given you vision for something. He's given you a picture. So when the scriptures said that Abraham and the word of the Lord happened to Abraham, or and the word of the Lord appeared to Abraham, so what do you mean a word appears? Well, I thought a word is heard, but a word appears. So in other words, when God gives you a word, it gives you a picture. So it gives you a picture of a future reality. So when God is speaking, He's allowing a future reality to come into your imagination, and now. You you see that future imagination that creates vision. And now you have faith for the vision that God gave you, right, which leads to expectation. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, you should have a hope, not a wishful thinking. You should have a hope, a hope that God will be who he said he is and that he will do what he said he does. So it's a joyful expectation of the goodness of God. Does it make sense? So Habakkuk 2 and 4 says, Write the vision down, and he, that he who reads it may run, all right? Make it plain, for it will tarry, but it will surely come to pass. Now, it may seem like it's taking a long time, but wait for it. It will not tarry. Why? Because when God speaks, he does not speak without acting, nor does he promise without fulfilling. He is good at his word, he can be trusted. And so, in other words, God's like, okay, get a vision for something in your life. Joseph had a vision. What was the vision? It was a dream. Now, you have to ask the question, what else did Joseph know? Right? We've said it before. How can you trust a word if you don't know the person who gave the word? How can you trust God if you don't know God? How can you be assured that in his character? Well, what did Joseph know? Somebody, let's think through the lineage of Joseph. And what did he know about God? What's that? He was saying, who was Abraham to Joseph? His great grandfather. That's right. So Joseph knew that God was a faithful God. So you have to know that Joseph heard the stories of Abraham and Sarah, and how Sarah was barren, and at 75, God gives a promise to Abraham, and at 65, he gives a promise to Sarah. He heard those stories. He knew that he gave him a promise at 75, but it didn't come to fruition until he was 100. So he, he saw the time frame. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm sorry. He understood the time frame from the time that there was proclamation of promise to the time of the uh, and he knew the time of the process to there was fruition of the promise. Joseph knew. He knew how many times that God uh, delivered his uh, great grandmother out of the hands of the Egyptians. When when Abraham said, oh, "No, tell him you're my sister." And God gave a dream to two men and says, if you touch her, I'll kill you. Joseph knew that story. Joseph knew the story of his grandfather, Isaac, and how God was with Isaac. And in the moment that, you know, there was one moment that Isaac sowed in a time of, of famine. The scripture says that in that same year, he reaped a hundredfold. He knew that story. So sometimes when we read this, even as you think about the book of Nehemiah on Sunday, you have to ask yourself the question, what did Nehemiah know? Who were his contemporaries? You think about Nehemiah knew the story of Daniel and how God delivered Daniel from a lion's den, how he delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. Nehemiah some—he had some stories to go by. And so does Joseph. Joseph knew Abraham's story. He knew Isaac's story, and he knew his father Jacob's story. He knew the story of of Jacob wrestling with God. Yes, sir. That's absolutely right. Yes, sir. Yeah. So turn to, uh, turn to, ooh, 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 ooh. Is this Hebrews chapter twelve? Uh, I think it is. I think that's a guess, but we'll see. Hebrews thirteen eight. Sorry about that. I was in the right book. Thirteen. Let's start at verse seven. All right? He says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate, what do they want them to imitate? Their faith, right? Now, again, what is faith tied to? What is faith tied to? Anybody know? It's not tied to grace. What is faith tied to? Trust, okay, not hope. Vision, not tied to vision. I didn't say it. I am just trying to see if you guys would say it. Faith is tied to the character of God. Your faith is tied to God's character. Right. Okay. Let me say it another way. If God was it was not trustworthy, could you have faith? No, you couldn't. So the only reason you have faith is because God's trustworthy. Doesn't make sense. He's faithful. So the word faithful means fidelity, right? So, uh, um. Uh, so, uh, in in terms of relationships, we said if a man cheats on his wife or a wife cheats on, we said she's uh, there was infidelity. There was not faithfulness. In terms of uh, sound equipment, you ever heard of high fidelity sound equipment? In other words, it's an exact representation of what it's supposed to be. So when we say that God is, uh, he he has his fidelity um, is that. There's no duality with him. I, I, I said it another way a few weeks ago. When you come to God, you you don't have to be like, okay, what is he like today? You don't have to approach him like, oh, is he in a good mood today? You know, there are people that you have to approach. I'm, I, mean, I don't know. Um, <laughs> hey, how are you? No, with God, you don't have to worry about that. That is why the writer of Hebrew says that he says that uh, we have a high priest, right? That knows what we go through. And because he knows, we can come boldly to the throne of grace in our time of need, right? Because Jesus knew what we went through. And as a result, he says, listen, you can approach the Father boldly. You don't have to come in scared. You can just come in boldly. So let's keep reading. Hebrews chapter uh, thirteen verse seven. He says, "Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of, of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith." Now, have you ever looked at somebody and you saw their life, right? He's, he says, "Consider their way of life. Watch the way that they live and imitate their faith." One of the things that one of my uh, life verses is uh, uh, is a story. Uh, it's the the verse that says. Uh, and Abraham was blessed in all things. He was enriched in all things. So everything about Abraham's life was blessed. Well, I'm like, hey, if that's possible for Abraham, then it can be possible for Noah's So Abraham's family was blessed. His marriage was blessed. His resources was blessed. Everything for Abraham, he was blessed in all things. Again, what does all mean in the Hebrew. It means all. So there was not one thing in Abraham's life that was not blessed. And if that's possible for Abraham, it should be possible for me. If it's possible for Abraham, it should be possible for you. Now, come on. Do you think that God wants your career to be wonderful and your marriage to be awful? Do you think that he wants your children to be wonderful and your career to be bad? No, he wants you to be enriched in all things. Now, I'm not saying that persecution doesn't come and hard times don't come. Certainly persecution came for Abraham and certainly hard times came for Abraham. But when he got to the end of his life, the scripture says that he was blessed in all things. So then I say, well, how do I consider Abraham's way of life and imitate his faith? Or there may be people that you know. So I would take in consideration some of my leaders and pastors, and I would say, wow, look at the way they live their life. And so how did they live their life? Maybe they live their life in consecration. So in other words, if you see somebody, you say, wow, they flow in power, or man, that's a person that's full of the word. How do they live? So when I get around people that uh, that uh, I admire, I ask them questions. I say, well, tell me about your prayer life. What do you read? What do you study? How much time do you spend with the Lord? Because I'm trying to figure out what's their way of life. And so I can imitate that faith because their faith or the way they live their life is a reflection of their faith. Does that make sense? Well, it's not just we should be hanging. The scripture says that we should consider the way of life. So, in other words, I should, if I hang out with Phil, I'm like, man, I like what's happening in Phil's life. I like the outcome of his life. Well, Phil, tell me about your life. Tell me what, how, you know, what you, when you wake up, what do you do? Tell me about your day, right? So, you know, it, it's kind of you know, when one man said like this: If you want to, if you want to be a millionaire, you don't hang out with the guy that's asked for change on the street. You go, you talk to the millionaire, and you say, How did you become a millionaire? That makes sense, right? So if you see somebody that that has acquired something, then you say, "Tell me about your life." And then you imitate their faith because the way their way of life is a reflection of what they believe about God. Oh, that's good preaching, I think. <laughs> their way of life is a reflection about what they believe about God. Does it make sense? Now check this out. This is the key. This is the key. Verse 8. Now this is the context of verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and then when? He's the same yesterday. What includes yesterday? Do you think Joseph's story includes yesterday? Do you think Abraham's story includes yesterday? Right. Right. So the context is, if you look at yesterday and you looked at Abraham's way of life, right, and you said, I'm going Im- to imitate his faith and, and I, I see the outcome, then what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that, listen, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And if he'll do it for Abraham, he'll do it for you. If he'll do it for Paul, he'll do it for you. If he'll do it for Smith Wigglesworth, he'll do it for you. If he does it for, you know, Charles Spurgeon, he'll do it for you. If he does it for C.S. Lewis, he'll do it for you. If he'll do it for Amy Simmons McPherson, he'll do it for you. Consider their way of life and look at their outcomes. And if you like that, imitate their faith. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he'll do it for them, he'll do it for you. Absolutely. Well, he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God. So, uh, uh, I would say Abraham is one of my leaders. I would say David's one of my leaders. Yes, sir. Well, who da- Yeah. No, no, no. I'm just saying, So, I always say And so, it's kind of like it gets looked over. There was no Oh, no, there was consequences. No, I, 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 what? no, so, so check it out. So, here we go. Well, so let's 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 back up the plane, and let's uh, uh, are y'all okay with this? Because you know I'm I'm gonna get to my point. I think depends on what time we get out here. <laughs> or are you gonna give me a business? So, so check it out. So here we go. Let's back up Abraham. So Abraham's story is there was a famine in the land, and because there was a famine, he went to Egypt. Well, while he was in Egypt, that remember who went to Egypt, and he told the pharaoh, he says, hey, this is my sister, because he figured that if he told his wife, he was like, oh, I like her. I'll with you, in with her, right? So that was the first thing that, and, and, and technically, it was a sister, it was a half-sister. But it was deceptive. And so deceiving is still a lie, right? Or omitting all the information is still a lie, right? So it goes there. Well, when uh, when uh, the uh, Pharaoh gets to dream of who Sarah really is, and they're in there a lot of time. Well, Pharaoh is kind to him and says, hey, I'll give you some uh, some livestock and some slaves. So in other words, what happens is God, uh, God sent Abraham to the land of promise in Canaan. But when a famine showed up, Abraham, in unbelief, went to Egypt. Now, you have to remember, Egypt is a sign of the world. It was a sign of the world even when Abraham went there. Right? And so... Every time we depend on the world, what happens is is that we um, um, it's an opportunity for the flesh to show up, right? And so Hagar is one of those ones that traveled back with Abraham after they left Egypt, right? So the first mistake was to go to Egypt in the first place. The second mistake, well, the first one was to lie. I'm sorry, the first one was to go to Egypt. The second one was to lie. The the third one was, when you got back, is to say, well, maybe God's going to do it another way. Why? Because the enemy is always getting you to question what God wants you to do. Right? So, yeah, Abraham, and I don't know if we say that it's overlooked, but the scripture says, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So, in other words, you know, and that doesn't happen until chapter 15. So, you know, the story of Abraham, I, I, I can't say in years, right? So the years may have been, I don't, I don't know uh, off the top of my head uh, how old he was in chapter uh, 15. But we know in chapter 17, in chapter 12, he was 75, right? So one of the things that, especially when we hear faith preachers and faith talkers, is that we forget that faith is a process, that we grow and we mature in faith, right? And so Abraham... Grew and matured in faith, and so in his relationship with God, he was growing in faith. Because the more he discovered God, the more he discovered, "Oh, this God can be trusted." Does that make sense? Yeah. So, does that make sense? Well, his con- well, his consequence was uh, uh, so uh, he sleeps with Hagar, right? Yeah. So he-, he has Ishmael. Well, so well, it, yeah. So you have to think. Like Moses did to he yeah. David well. Is, uh, he there. He had got well tell me what happened to Ishmael. <laughs> well, he's a whole other, uh, he is, yeah. But don't don't forget that God says to Abraham, He says, uh, "Listen to your wife," and He had to give. The scripture says that Abraham loved Ishmael. And he had to send him away. That's the consequence. Yeah. Right, right what? Well, yeah, based on the information we have, yes. Yeah, so. Well, that was afterwards. Well, yeah, you're right. That was before. So but so but here's the thing. Here's the deal. So it's the same way in the New Testament. So you can't you you can't separate the realities like for us. We're saved the same way. That we believe and it's accounted to us as righteousness. Well, what do we believe on? We believe on him, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And because we believe in that, then that makes us righteous. Now, then we have to figure out how do you exercise righteousness, right? You know, and what are the fruits of righteousness? Uh, but it's still the same for us as it was for Abraham. Now, are we talking about uh, perfection? Absolutely not. So here's a, here. Let's go back to uh, Genesis chapter 50 because here's the point. The point is because God is good and we belong to Him. We love Him. We've been called according to His purposes, not our purposes, and God makes that work for our good. So here's the story of. Of Joseph, and you know, we started a little bit. Uh, maybe I'll just maybe uh, I'll, I'll go backwards. So, it's chapter 50, let's look at verse. Um, yep, 5 0. So, here we go. You know the story, right? Verse 20, 50 20 says, As you, he's t- this is. Uh, Joseph talking to his brothers, they're in Egypt and um, um, uh, Jacob has died. And so um, Joseph's brothers are thinking that perhaps because Jacob has died, now uh, now um, Joseph is going to give it to him. So the only reason why Joseph didn't give it to him was because Jacob was alive. But now that Jacob is dead, his brothers are thinking that revenge is going to happen. right? So verse 19 says, but Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. So right where I am is where God wanted me, right? Then he says this, verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, I want you to see something. So the the word here says, as for you, you meant evil against me. So how many know that there are there are uh, at least three plans for your life? There's the plan of God, there's the plan of the enemy, and there's your plan. Now, you could actually say that there are the plans of you know, your family members and that kind of stuff, but I don't want to get too deep. All right, But at least there are three. There's the plan of God, there's the plan of the evil one, and there's your plans. So here it is that uh, uh, that he says, after you, you meant Evil against me. Now, that word meant there is uh, a Hebrew word that means to plait. Anybody know what it means to plait something? Huh? No, nope, not it out, Braid it. So uh, if you ever heard, uh, uh, I think it happens more often in, in chocolate cir- circles They say, plat, can you plait my hair? To plait it means to to braid it. So, in other words, what the enemy wants to do is that he wants to weave into your life evil. He wants you to he wants to braid into your life evil because when evil is braided into your life, you have the opportunity to believe the evil or to believe God. Right. So, when evil shows up, I think too too often what we do is that we start questioning God. Is that not true? okay so keep keep yourself in Genesis chapter 50 I' want you to turn to Psalms 105 because we're not done there okay. Psalms 105 105 all right Let's start at verse 16. Now, this is a psalm, and it's going through some of the history of Israel. Verse 16 says, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Right? So in God's mind, Joseph was already sent ahead. So when God gave Joseph the dream, it was sending Joseph ahead. You guys remember that. Okay. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Verse 18, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Now, that's slavery. That's bondage. Anybody like that? Does that sound fun? Okay. Let's go verse uh, 19. Here we go. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Oh, that's a hard one right there. So until what he had said came to pass, now you can ask the question, well, who's speaking? Is it God speaking or is it uh, Joseph speaking? So it could be Joseph telling his his brothers about the dream he had, right? Or you could say it's God speaking, saying, hey, this is the word I have for you, Joseph. Does it make sense? Either one of them works. It doesn't really matter which one you, you focus on. So it could be God, the dream being what God said to Joseph. Then it says, until until then, the word of the Lord tested him. Who did the word test? It tested Joseph. Well, why? how did the word test him? It proved him. The word to test is to prove. How does God, the word of the Lord test him? How does it prove him? Through the trials that he suffered through the things that he went through. So Joseph had an opportunity to say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna let your word try me or test me. Well, what was the word that was testing him? The word that was testing him was the dream that God gave him. In other words, God is saying, Joseph, I gave you a dream, hope, expect, have a joyful expectation of good that I'm going to make good on the dream that I gave you. Or you can look at the hardship and blame me and say, why, 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 God? Why, God, have you weaved all this uh, bad and evil into my life? How many of you know that we each have that opportunity? God can give you a vision for your life. And the, this, this book is the revelation of God. It's God's vision for your future. But guess what happens? We start living life, and the enemy starts weaving things into our life. And so the question is, as his brothers are afraid, he says, listen, I am in the place of God after you. You meant evil. You meant to weave hurt and harm and hardship and pain into my life. But God meant it for my good. In other words, you meant to weave bad, but God came in and he weaved good. Why? Because whenever God's working, He's producing good. It's who he is. And so Abraham, so Joseph has to take a look at his life and say, hold on, when I, when I find myself in the pit, what do I do? I have a dream. Well, who gave me this dream? God gave me this dream. I know God spoke to me, and I watched how, and I heard the stories of how God has been faithful to my great-grandfather, Abraham. And I watched how God said to Abraham, Abraham, you're gonna have, you're gonna have a son, yeah, and, and, and it's gonna come from Sarah's womb. And my my great granddaddy was a hundred years old when he gave birth. When uh, my grandmother gave my great grandmother gave birth to my granddad Isaac. See, you cannot live this life and not look back at God's faithfulness. And think that you can have an expectation of good in the future. It's why we read the book. The scripture says these things have been wrote, written for us for our admonition as examples. And so you have to even understand that the New Testament writers weren't writing with the New Testament in mind. They're writing in with the Old Testament in mind. And they had to believe, just like you and I have to believe, that Daniel, if God will do it for Daniel, He'll do it for me. If He do it for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, He'll do. It. If He'll do it for David, He'll do it for me. I, and so I can trust in that same God, for He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And when uh, and when hardship shows up, when I find myself in the pit, I'm going to believe in the faithfulness of my great. Um, and I'm believing the faith of my great grandfather, who believed in the faithfulness of God. When I find myself in the prison, I'm gonna believe in, uh, in the faith that my dad de- my, my granddad had when he sowed in a time of famine. So in other words, God, you know, Isaac wanted to go down to to, to Egypt too. And God's like, no, you don't go there. And so he sowed in the place that he was. And how God proved himself faithful to my granddaddy. And if God will prove himself to my granddaddy, guess what? He'll prove himself faithful to me. You're realizing that Joseph knew something. He knew something about God because down through the years, somebody had shared with him the, the fidelity, the faithfulness, the goodness of God. James writes and says that Abraham was a friend of God. Well, you know, James is getting this revelation. Do you not believe that Joseph heard the story how his his great-grandfather was a friend of God? How his great-grandfather negotiated with God and saved Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah? So until what he said came to pass, the word of the Lord proved him, it tested him, it tried him. He had to hold on to the word because when we hold on, see, remember what we said last week, we cannot separate God from his word. When we say God is one, he is one. You're not gonna hear one thing from uh, God's behavior and another thing from his word. You're not gonna hear one thing from the father and another thing from the son. You're not going to hear one thing from the son and something different from the Holy Spirit. They are one. And so when you take a look at the. No. No. we don't know. We don't know when Abraham repented. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, we don't know what it is, but we do also know that Abraham was a man of sacrifice. Right? Before there was a law about sacrifice, Abraham was a man of sacrifice. So when he, memory, the scripture says in Genesis chapter 20, it says uh, uh, that me and the lad are going to go up to worship, right? Yeah. And so uh, so, and, and then Isaac is the one that asked the question. He says, Dad, I see the fire. I, I mean, I see the wood. I see the fire, but where's the where's the lamb? So in other words, Isaac had a revelation about sacrifice. Because he knew what the protocol was. Right? So at some point, Abraham must have sacrificed him. And so even if you back up and you go and look at uh, Genesis, chapter, uh, Genesis chapter four and five and you look at Cain and Abel, the scripture says that, uh, um, that Abel uh, took the, 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 the choices uh, um, uh, of, of his livestock and he sacrificed or he gave it to the Lord. And so even then, before there was a uh, ceremonial law, you find in the Old Testament that they're still doing those things. And then Cain, brought, the scripture says that he brought something, and he brought something too. So so there, there must have been some kind of repentance. But here's the reality. You go back to David, Psalms 51. David says this. He says, if if thou really wanted rams and bullocks, I would give it. But that's not. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit and contrite heart. Of this, you cannot despise. And so when you look at the life of Abraham, and the life of Abraham was a life of obedience, right? Then you have to understand that that obedience came from a broken and contrite heart. Say it again? That's right. He the scripture says he was blessed in all ways. But here's another thing that you hear about uh, about Abel. The scripture says that God chose him because he would, um, uh, because he would teach his offspring. So God chose him, knowing what was in him. So the way that God chose Abraham, he didn't say, okay, I'm going to give you offspring. God says, hey, I'm going to choose him because I know that you're going to train up your offspring. I mean, God's pretty, he's pretty fantastic. Uh, But in other ways, but in other ways, you can say, um, in other words, you can say that um, God does look past sin Because he says that, you know what, I'll remember it no more. We call it the sea of forgetfulness, right? So there are ways that, you know what, um, uh, that when God sees you feel, he's not reminded of your sin. When God sees you, he sees his son, right? I mean, that's at the end of the day. When we come before him, we come before him in the name of Jesus. It's from the West. And, you know, and it's, it's hard to reconcile, and it's hard to reconcile in the world of merit, you know, merit and demerit. Or, or you can call it karma, or you can call it yin and yang. You know, all those things are about merit, right? So if I do bad, I get bad, right? You know, but when God, remember when God revealed about himself in Exodus chapter 33, and he says, you know, uh, you can't see my glory, but I'll let all my goodness pass before you. He says, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, in kindness to thousands of generations. In other words, what God wanted you to know first is that that I'm merciful. In other words, I know that you're prone to broke it. Uh, you're, you're prone to blow it. I know this. But but what you can trust is that I will be merciful and I will be gracious. Now, did he say he says it, later on in chapter 34? He says, he says, Now, will I hold the guilt guiltless? No, I'll visit the sins to the third and fourth generations. But remember, that's three and four generations versus thousands to those who love me. And it's difficult for us to reconcile, even if, you know, and I'm way off topic, but that's okay, uh, because uh, grace is really an expression of God's goodness, is that when Paul is preaching grace in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, if we preach grace the way that Paul preached grace, then people would say we were fools. Because Paul didn't preach a grace that said anything was dependent on you. His grace was so... um, uh, so extraordinary that the Jews were like, he's lost his mind. And so that's why in Galatians he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's put cast a spell on you? Having begin by the Spirit, you're going to end in the flesh." In other words, he says, "Listen, the reason why uh, you have been accepted has been a thing by because a, a movement of God. It's not because a movement of the flesh." And listen, I am a proponent. I am a guy I'm a holiness guy. I believe in holiness. Um, I don't believe in cussing people out. I don't believe in cussing them out in your mind. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't believe that drinking is a sin. Uh but I just don't I just don't do it. I just don't think any good comes out of it. That's just my personal preference. So I believe in holiness. I believe in living right. Well, yeah, so the, I, I have the yeah, I, I, I have a uh the other brother, other, uh, bro, other brother, principle. So you know, if I'm out somewhere and somebody sees me drinking, and they're like, "Oh, you're a pastor," you, well, they have an association with it. Now, is there anything wrong with it? No, but I don't want you to stumble on my account. And so that's just my, my that's my perspective. Not not everybody buys on that, and I'm okay with that. I ain't mad at you either, right? So, uh, but when you think about those things, um, it's a grace that if we preach the same kind of grace that Paul preached, people will say. Uh, they, they call, they call it, I think they, they call it extreme grace preachers, you know, uh, like you have nothing to do. Well, the reality is that you don't. You've just been saved unto good works. And so for me, the same grace that saves me is the grace that enables me. Right? Paul would say, be, be, uh, uh, because grace abounds, should I sin? Because grace abounds, should I sin? Certainly not. But when I do sin, though sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. I'll be good that much more. Well, like we started in Romans chapter 11, uh, he says, Uh, uh, both the severity and the goodness of God, severity to those who have fallen off and the goodness to those who uh, kind of who remain. And if you don't remain in the goodness, so remain in the goodness. And if you don't, you'll be cut off too. So our responsibility is to simply remain in God's grace and his goodness. Trusting, hoping, believing in his grace. And it's a grace that are forgiven. It's a grace that are free. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm done. I just don't believe that Jesus only has enough power to save me. I believe that Jesus has enough power to save me, uh, uh, to, to forgive me, to save me, to heal me, to deliver me, to raise me, to fill me. I believe that He has enough. You know, His grace is not limited. That's the kind of that. That's just what I believe. The severity. Um. Uh, uh, Romans maybe Romans six or seven? Romans six or seven. When I was guy, you know what head wait a minute, We our head well So it is true Yeah, well, so Yeah, so but I so I hear you Phil, and I think the challenge is you know I hang my life on grace, but I believe in a grace that is not able—not only able to make me acceptable to God, right, and to uh, to save me—but I believe in a grace that'll keep me. And so, what most people are is most people are uh, in a grace for the cross, but not a grace for the empty tomb. And so, in other words, what happened is they have enough faith that Jesus died on the cross and, you know, He redeemed them and their blood washed and they're going to sin, but they don't have enough faith to believe that Jesus can raise them from their own dead works. It's that same grace. So, you know, we get confident in the cross, but it's not just the cross. Paul said, if Christ be not raised from the dead, then our faith is futile. It's empty. It doesn't even work. So we have to believe not just in a grace at the cross. We have to believe in a grace from an empty tomb that God is able to raise us from our dead works. And so that's where some of us stop. And the reality is, is when we don't stop, we create more drama in our life. So, well, Father, thank you. I don't know what I said tonight. Uh, we just had a conversation, and I just pray your blessing over my friends, and um, Lord, that you would do uh, something incredibly awesome. Amen and amen.